0: So, my name's Ben, one of the pastors here at Oak Church. We're we're talking about recharge, and really, what are we talking about? Yeah, we're talking about spiritual disciplines. I'm, I'm talking about the walk of a Christian life. I'm talking about how you connect to the Lord so that you have not just the power to do what he commands you to do, but that you start to enjoy heaven now. If God's connection to us is what heaven is, and the Bible's very clear. That's exactly what heaven is. Then, can I ask the question: Why is it so difficult for us to connect to Him now? Last week, when we started talking about prayer specifically, I had a quote from the C.S. Lewis who was talking about: well, "What do you do with a rose?" He said, "Rose tree." I don't know in UK, maybe they're trees. What do you do with a rose tree that doesn't like producing roses? What do you do with a Christian who feels obligated to pray, who feels like it's a duty, maybe even a bit of a difficult duty to pray? It's a big deal if what we are supposed to be are people who enjoy connecting with God. Now, what I, what I hope to do today is we finish out the Lord's Prayer. So if you have a copy of the Scriptures, you can turn or tap your way to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to be. The Lord's Prayer in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount very famous part of Scripture. If you've been around church in your life, if not, lots of people haven't either. But this is a, one of those kind of high points. We're going to go to the back of it. But what we're going to kind of focus on today is this question of the difference between surviving... And thriving. Having a relationship with the Lord that is present, possible, technically there. Something that's there that you kind of like begrudgingly have to work with every now and again. Or the light and hope and joy of your life. If you think of it like a relationship. I I can have a relationship with my wife. We can be legally, technically married and we can just survive. And it can be real rough. Or we can spend a lot of time on it with each other. We can really work on forgiving one another and engaging with each other about the problems and difficulties and enjoying one another and the really good parts, the really good times. And then all of a sudden, our marriage becomes a place that's thriving. It's possible for humanity to, to live, to exist in really, really rough places. You can survive Arctic temperatures with very little food that never really fluctuates. You know, you can live on, like, rice cakes or granola bars or whatever the explorers work on, you know. You can, you can survive on very little water with almost no sun. You can almost go mad, but you can survive. But why would you want to when you could thrive, when you could live somewhere warm with lots of interesting food every day and lots of people and lots of fun and beautiful mountains and all the stuff that most of us choose to pursue in our life. Are you, are we, simply trying to survive in our relationship with the Lord? Or are we attempting to grow into a place where we're thriving? Where it's a sweet place to be. A place we want to be. I think the main difficulty is going to come up. What we talked about last week in Matthew 6, 9 and 10. He begins, he says, pray like this. This is Jesus teaching his disciples how we should pray, not just the 12, us, all of his disciples, this is how we should pray. And he starts by saying, our father, beautiful gospel statement, our father who is in heaven, who's above us, I am, he's independent of us, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think that's the rub. I think that's the main spot. I think that's the reason that we're tempted to sort of minimize our relationship with him and let it sort of dry up and harden because we really don't like having to admit that it's his kingdom, his will for his glory. I mean, I'd much rather live a life where it really is my life with my priorities where I spend my time pursuing my pleasures If you begin by praying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven, you're confessing a biblical truth, but it's a hard one to swallow, that you actually don't have time. You actually don't own your life. You don't own your body. You don't own your pleasures. You don't own your priorities. It's all his. Ooh, that's hard to admit. That's hard to want. But I'll say the back half of this Sermon on the Mount actually gives us quite a bit to grasp, quite a bit to live within. It addresses some of the reason that we would want to engage in this relationship with God, His provision, His protection. And it also diagnoses some of the reason that we really don't want to go back and be in His presence. Some of the things we have to confess. Some of the things we have to reconcile. So we look at the back half of this sermon, this, uh, this prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. I'm hoping that it will entice you. Entice you by showing you how good it can be and helping you to diagnose some of the real problems here. Some of the things you can do that will pull out the gunk in the pipe between your connection and the Father's. So let's start where he does. He says, after saying, uh, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your will be done, your uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth earth as it is in heaven. He then says in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. This is picturing the Lord like a father who gives you daily your daily bread daily bread. Now, I I, want to start by drawing you into what is so attractive about being in this relationship with the Lord. He is one who gives you a daily provision. It says in Lamentations 3, this is a very important part of Scripture to come back to because it's a really severe, intense part. And if the truth... that that we preach exists, can survive in Lamentations. It can definitely exist and survive in my life. This is what it says in Lamentations 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, Therefore, I will hope in him. Well, David is always talking about this this Bible study that he really likes called New Morning Mercies. We're called by God to come to him for a new daily mercy, a daily helping of the grace that we need. If you're like me, you can tend to line up all the problems in your world, and you see it. Maybe it's on your task manager, and you've got a little number at the beginning of the day, a little red number by that app that shows you how many things you've got to check off in the day. Maybe you're just really great with calendars, and you can look at your calendar and kind of see it all. Maybe, you know, you just sort of hide from the fact of it, and it's just sort of this cloud of anxiety in your world. Whatever it is, but I can tend to take all of those tasks or problems or things coming and sort of line them all up in my head and get overwhelmed by the immensity, the, the crazy sort of tidal wave of all of it. We just came out of a year of COVID. That wasn't an easy thing to lead through. We're about to go into a summer where we're trying to make up for lost time and start new stuff will be followed by a fall where we really try and capitalize on whatever gains we make over the summer and push even further to continue in our mission as a church to make disciples and plant churches. I am not intending for any of that to be easy. And when I look at all of it, I feel like I'm standing at the bottom of one of these peaks that we see in our valley. My brother and I climbed Lone Peak several years ago. And in the valley, there's places where you can stop and stand and you can see the whole ridge from Corner Canyon all the way up to Lone Peak. And you look at it and you think, I can't even believe I did that. I'm not that fit. That looks like a lot of space and a lot of incline. And the hardest part is right near the beginning. It's called Jacob's Ladder. But the only way we were able to get up it, or the only way I was able to get up it, is we started way early. And I didn't have a headlamp, so instead of having a lamp and being able to really see and look around, I just had to stay sort of close to Thomas and sort of use his headlamp. And his headlamp, you know, it's going to light up eight or ten feet, but from my perspective, it's really only lighting up two to four feet. And by the time the sun had come up, we had actually made it all the way up. But how do we make it up? Not up the peak, but up Jacob's ladder. How do we make it all the way up? Just keep taking that next step. I can't, I'm not trying to look up at where I've got to get to eventually. Where I've got to get to eventually is overwhelming. What I'm looking at is just the next step. Can I trust for the next step? That's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to just take that next step, to just continue to trust, to see right now, today, will he give me the grace to resist temptation today? Will he give me the mercy to be sustained by him today? He's promising that he will. We're going to put our our hope and our trust that he will in the most extreme of examples. Now, it's regular. It's possible for us to believe and trust that dads will provide food for their kids. I provide food for my kids, and it's not always easy. We had dinner Wednesday night for our community group. We brought pizza, and we were just talking about how many pieces everybody had at the end of the night. That's not always a fun thing to do. It's kind of an accountability moment, maybe, but I was talking with my daughters, and Caroline ate twice as much pizza as I did. She's eight. And she's still skinny as a beanpole. It's not like she's just this massive thing. She's really, really thin. She's just growing. And that's what it takes to feed growing kids. If you've ever been a parent, that's probably what they talk to you about most. Can I have a snack? They need a lot of food, and they need that food regularly. But good dads provide the food. Pretty crummy dads still provide food. And God is saying that he's going to provide for us and he's promising it. He's leveraging it on much, much greater evidence. Because he says in Romans 8.32, he didn't give up his own son. I'm sorry, he didn't spare his own son. But he gave his own son for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We don't pray the Lord's Prayer without knowing the whole rest of the story, without thinking through the whole of the gospel they trusted that God cared more about them than many sparrows as they're reading through and listening to the Sermon on the Mount. But we can know that He does, trusting in absolutely the provision He's given us through Christ. So, when it comes to the moment of prayer, I can, I can go to this God and I can see it as this very sort of difficult, astringent, ugh, painful sort of thing where I've got to bow the knee because I have to because I need Him to help me do the stuff I want to go and do. Or I can see it as walking into this pantry of new morning mercy. That's what he's promised. That's what he's proved. And while he does start with this wonderful, beautiful invitation into this warm, thriving relationship, he then immediately begins to talk about some of the stuff that makes it hard to be there. So yeah, I want to be in his presence. I want to be with him. But to be with him, I do have to address some stuff. Or he wants to address some stuff. It says in six twelve, forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. He talks about asking for forgiveness. Now there's can be a, a confusing moment here because you can say to yourself, I thought that when I trusted in Christ, I was saved. I thought when I gave myself to the Lord and trusted in Him for my salvation, that I really was forgiven. Not that I was invited then into a payment plan of asking for forgiveness regularly. I thought it was done, and hey, it is. You got time this afternoon. Read through Hebrews 10. It talks about how the sacrifices in the Old Testament were done daily, but not anymore. Because when Christ died for us, it was the final sacrifice, the full sacrifice. He said it from the cross. It is finished. So why do we go to him daily asking for forgiveness for our sins? Well, it's possible, again, for you to exist in a relationship with the Lord where where he doesn't leave you even though you pretend like all of this weight on your relationship isn't there. But every time you sin, every time you knowingly do again that thing that you know he hates, you're adding a little bit more weight to your relationship with him. Because he's a real person, and you are a real person, and the way that you're interacting involves all of the ways in which you've interacted towards each other. Now every time you sin and sin again, you're adding that much more, that much more weight to that moment, to that connection. And it's not going to break, but it's not pleasant. Right so I love to watch Fail Army. Please don't just go watch it on YouTube because sometimes, like within the last three years, they started bleeping everything. But before that, (laughs) you know, somebody slips on a mouse, they don't necessarily like say, oh, golly, you know. So be careful who you watch it with or whatever. But they usually will show really, really funny stuff. They'll generally also, one of the kind of themes are these overloaded vehicles. And I found one, but then I was, "Eh." so I Googled it and I found a, a different one. It was a picture. Look at this guy. I don't know how hard your job is. It's not that hard. That guy's on a bicycle carrying the entire convenience store from one place to another. I don't know what all he's delivering. It's very brightly colored. But look at the small bicycle with the absolutely tremendous load. And you can see the guys around him. They're impressed. I'm impressed. But I'm not jealous. (laughs) I would love to be as strong as him, but I don't want to change places with him. I think your relationship with the Lord can start to feel like this. Man, it feels like you're running through mud when you're trying to talk to Him. Why? Well, you've got this tremendous weight. It's not theologically. It's just relationally. You've got relational weight in the fact that you are continuing to do things that offend Him, that you know offend Him, and you're just going to pretend like you didn't. You're just going to try and get through it, However, you have to get through the prayer so that you can get back to doing what you really want to do. God is inviting you to daily cut that weight off. To come to him with with just the reality of knowing like, man, Lord, I am a sinner. Did you hear David say that? We say it every week. We say it every week because it's the most essential thing to say. If you, if you don't know you've got a problem, you won't ever look for the solution. If you don't know that you're sick, you never call a doctor. We are broken people. Confessing that, bringing that to him again. He knows it. To agree with him that he is better. When you don't, Psalm 32 says it really... I'm not going to say beautifully, even though the poetry's there, but really clearly. When I kept silent... My bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I didn't cover my iniquity. I said I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Have you ever had that? Have your bones ever been wasting away? I'm no super Christian, but I've had three of the hardest moments of my life described by this passage. Where the Lord's hand was heavy upon me and it was confess or die. And the pain was awful, but it's the pain like dental pain. You have this awful tooth pain, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And then the dentist pulls out the pliers or whatever they use, and they grab it, and they're starting to yank it out. And it's even worse and worse, and then it's out. And as soon as it's out, the relief hits. That's exactly what he's saying. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. He starts by saying, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Be forgiven. Be made clean. Let your relationship have the authenticity that any of your relationships have. You sin against a friend, it's hard to make that next phone call unless you say, hey, will you please forgive me? And really, that's exactly what he connects it to. Not just our relationship with him, but he says, as we forgive our debts. He says, Lord, will you forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors? We don't just need to ask for forgiveness. We also need to find a way to do reconciliation. He's very serious about if you are connected to him, you're going to pursue connection with others. If you're going to restore your relationship with him, you need to be serious about restoring your relationship with others. It feels great to be clean. If you know that, make other things clean. We went this weekend up to uh, Flaming Gorge. Went on Friday, came back on Saturday. It's one of the joys of being a pastor. You've got to be back by Sunday. Went on Friday, back by Saturday. And yesterday, we were at one of the little beachy areas next to Flaming Gorge Reservoir. And I was out on the boat, but all of a sudden it started to rain, and like really rain for just a minute. So they grabbed everything and they just threw it in the back of a car. I've only had one nice car. It's this Ford Explorer. And it's not the nicest car in the world, but compared to what I was driving beforehand, it's nice. And I enjoy it as a nice car. I like to keep it clean. It's in the budget. I will take it and get a car wash every now and again. And as I got off the boat and was coming around to where the car was where they had taken everything off the sandy beach and just thrown it into my nice Ford Explorer, my friend, Sonia, she said, "Um, it's a little sandy. (laughs) like, what do you mean? She goes, you're not going to like it. And she was right. We opened up the car doors and everything was covered in sand. It wasn't cartoonish. I didn't open the door and sand spilled out. But there was sand on every surface. Can I tell you, it was a, just about the only thing I could do right then to go get it vacuumed. Yeah, okay, we can't do that. We gotta go potty, we gotta drop people off at the house. Uh, okay, but as soon as that's done, I gotta go find a vacuum cleaner. I can't buy one in this little town. Okay, great. Where are the vacuums? Where, how, do, how much does it cost? It's like these little coin operated vacuum cleaners. And sure, whatever it takes. I don't even know that anybody has coins anymore. I'll drive around and panhandle whatever I need to do because I need to vacuum the sand out of my car. It feels so good to be clean and it feels so disgusting to be dirty. I want to clean it up. Now, in your relationships with other people, who are you avoiding? Who are you not reconciled to? When you come on a Sunday, who are you hoping didn't come? When you go to the reunion, whose eyes do you avoid? Who are you dreading having a conversation with? I know it's there. The Holy Spirit will remind you. I don't have to. Find these places to reconcile yourself to others. Because he does say in verses 14 and 15, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father forgives you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Again, that sounds sort of like works salvation. I have, to, I have to forgive other people if I want to be forgiven. But what he's really saying is very similar to another place where he teaches on an unforgiving servant. In the story, there's a ruler. The guy owes him an unimaginable amount of money, and the ruler just forgives him. And the servant is very joyful that now he doesn't owe any money, and he walks out and immediately finds somebody that owes him money in a much smaller amount. And instead of forgiving his debt and the overwhelming joy of forgiveness and being forgiven, he starts choking the guy and sends him off to debtor's prison until he can pay back the last penny. The other servants hear about it. They go tell the ruler, and the ruler brings him back and says, didn't I just forgive you an unimaginable amount of money? And you can't forgive him? Okay, we're done here. You still owe me money, and he sends him back to debtor's prison. Do you see the connection? If you've really been forgiven, you can forgive. Now, it's going to be really hard. And I understand that for some of you, we believe that people are broken. For some of you, the things you're going to have to forgive are gigantic. But it's not bigger than what God has forgiven of you. Man, don't let a guilty conscience hinder your prayers. Make yourself connected to other people. He talks about leaving your sacrifice on the altar to go and reconcile with your brother. Reconcile. Be reconciled to one another as you reconcile yourself to the Lord. Then he finishes with this other big promise. Not just provision and not just stuff that we need to do to kind of clean the pipe, but also protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, he's talking about temptation. In the Greek, what this was originally written, that word for temptation is much bigger than just being tempted by a possible sin. It also means trials. The kind of stuff that would make you tempted to do something that God commands you not to do. Lord, please, as you lead me, you're my shepherd, I'm your sheep, as you lead me, Please don't lead me to places where I will be so tempted. Please don't lead me to places where the trials will be overwhelming. But instead, Lord, shepherd, please deliver us from evil. Now, what he's talking about there is he's talking about the fullness of who we are as people. We're very small, we're very broken, and honestly, we're very weak. So this prayer, it connects with other places in the scripture. In Proverbs 30, this guy Agar is praying and he says, he's praying to God and he's asking him for things Remove from me, uh, far from me, falsehood and lying. But then he says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but feed me with the food that's needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. How wise is that? There's a double temptation. There's a double danger. There's the temptation of trial, of things being awful, and you want to walk away from God or curse Him to His face, but there's also the temptation of pleasure. That things are so good, you're tempted to just sort of walk away from Him because you don't need Him anymore. And this Agar guy is realizing that both pain and pleasure are temptation, and he's actually praying for God not to give him riches. How wise is that? The idea is, Lord, deliver us from evil. Evil without, but Lord, also deliver us from evil within. This prayer that Christ teaches us to pray has provision. He feeds us. It has prescription. It's stuff he's teaching us to do in order to be connected to him and connected to others. But it also has this protection. That God's love for us is protecting love. That there are roaring lions without. There are slippery serpents within. And yet we have a God who will protect us. Be a wall around us. One who doesn't leave us. Or forsake us. And again, how do we know? How do we know that he won't forsake us? Well, we take everything back to the gospel. I know that he won't forsake me because for me, he did forsake Christ. He said from the cross, it is finished. But before he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ said that because on the cross, he is receiving the fullness of God's punishment for our sin. In that moment, he is asking God, Why are you so far from me? Why would you leave me? The same thing that we pray but he prays it and he actually is forsaken of God. He actually is receiving the separation, the sinful punishment for sin, all of hell itself on his head. And because he is forsaken, we never will be. That's what we can trust. That's what we can know. When we pray these things, we pray them under the shadow of the cross, realizing that this is the God who loves us. So, brothers and sisters, will you go to God for this provision? New morning mercies for this daily grace. Will you repent? Will you find places where you do need to ask God's forgiveness for your sin? Will you find relationships that need to be restored? Let us help. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's going to be sticky, but I'd love to jump in there and help if I can. If it means that you connect better with the Father. And man, trust God for this protection. Praying daily that he walks with you, that his rod and his staff comfort you. Let's pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, we do ask these things, things that Christ prayed, that he taught us to understand and think about and want and long for, to request in prayer and to trust you to provide. I pray, Lord, that we would be a praying people. That as you clean this stuff out and as you entice us with these good things, We would be a people that that enjoy producing roses, Lord. We would be people who enjoy being in your presence. Father, as we pray, please act. Please comfort, please protect, please provide, Lord. And please clean your people that we might be pleasing to you. So in your holy name we pray, amen. Amen.